I'm with Lindsay Erdodi, who is with the Indianapolis Business Journal. And, you know, uh, Lindsay, I've known you for several years now. And uh, you're such a nice lady because you've never corrected me. I've been mispronouncing your name the whole time I've known you. And the only reason I, I know that is because you're now on Indiana Week in Review, and, and uh, Brandon Smith always makes sure she, he pronounces it Lindsay Erdodi. I thought, ooh, I've not been doing this correctly. <laughs> yes, that's, it's totally fine. It gets mispronounced all the time. So Well, people mess my name up too, but not quite that, that badly. But, you know, that's a really great show. I wish they would have you on more often. For people, I'm being a government nerd. I enjoy Indiana Week in Review. For those who haven't seen it, it's on public TV once a week, and it's basically three journalists, one's the host, and two political people, and you just talk about the week's events. And I wish I'd have you on more often. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> so let's get to the issues. Uh, and, and being a reporter, both of us being that uh, background, uh, I want to talk about what's happened most recently. The, uh, we're recording this in the morning of July 22nd, the day before the Democrats in the legislature had a news conference basically saying that with the voting rules and the absentee ballots and will we have absentee ballots for everyone, all the federal aid money, how's it being used, should we have a special session? I mean, there was just so much discussed at that news conference. And uh, I uh, let me know, I don't know that the governor ever said anything, but the Speaker of the House, Todd Houston, who I know from Fishers, says uh, basically no. What did you take from that news conference? Because when I read about it, I didn't see it, but I read your story about it. It was like, these were pretty reasonable <laughs> issues to bring up. And yet uh, the Democrats are saying they think it's urgent. Republicans are saying, well, maybe it's not so urgent. I'd like your take on what you learned from that news conference. Yeah, so the Indiana Democrats, all three of their main caucuses, you got the, the House caucus, the Senate caucus, and the Black Caucus um, came out and kind of had three big things they think are enough cause to have a special session in August. And it was oversight of the um, CARES Act money that the state has received. They have some ideas about how that money should be spent and how they would like to see Governor Holcomb's team spending it. And and his team has announced, you know, some things here and there about how it will be spent, but uh, there's there's still a lot of money there left to be had, and so they uh, want to have a say in that. Uh, they also talked about wanting to expand the no excuse absentee voting for the fall election. We had it in the June primary; you didn't have to have a reason to vote by mail. But Republican leaders, including Governor Holcomb himself, have said that. They want the November election to proceed as normal. Will that change? I don't know. I think that's a, a question. You know, we'll see if we keep going down this path of rising cases. Uh, you know, it might. I think. I think Republicans would have a harder time saying that the. You know, you you still need to have an excuse to vote by mail in the fall, uh, but we haven't heard an updated statement on that specifically from from Governor Holcomb yet, and the third thing that the Democrats are pushing for some of these criminal justice reform measures. And we heard them talk about that um, a little while back when we saw some of the protests really get going, especially in Indianapolis. And they kind of came out with a list of things they thought that the governor should address. And the governor at the time <clears throat> came out and 
said he was looking into all of these things, said he, you know, thinks things could be improved, some things could be changed, uh, but we didn't have any specifics at the time. And we haven't heard any specifics since then. And, you know, at least in terms of where he's at on a special session, he was uh, briefly asked about it at an event yesterday morning around the same time Democrats were having their press conference and wasn't really going one way or the other on it um, at the time, you know, said he would look at what they were talking about and figure out where he stands. But we have seen, like you said, Speaker Houston say that he doesn't think we need to have a special session. So I would assume that's where we'll see the governor land on it too. And that calls for a special session here and there rumblings of it have come up since March, since the pandemic hit. And as, as we all know, it hasn't happened. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. So we'll you know, one thing I want to ask you about, because when I talk to people who serve or have served in the legislature, a lot of them tell me that the split in the General Assembly is not so much Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. The split in the legislature is more urban versus rural. And I see something like criminal justice reform as, you know, whether you're whatever party you're with that the urban view on this is different than the rural view. Have you ever, in covering the legislature, have you seen, because others have told me who've served in the legislature, that they feel that way. What's been your observation on that? I think to an extent that could be true. I mean, not just on criminal justice measures, but kind of across the board. I mean, you just have different issues in rural parts of the state than you do in urban parts of the state. But the other interesting thing is that there are exceptions, certainly, but for the most part, a lot of your Democrats are from urban areas and a lot of your Republicans are from rural areas. So I do think there is still somewhat of that partisan divide. It's it's not, you know, complete there. But um, like I said, I, I think there are all sorts of different issues that people in rural communities see differently or, or don't see going on. I mean, the mask issue is a perfect example of that, I think. There are a lot of people in rural communities that don't think it's necessary. They don't have as high of case numbers. And, you know, they've been able to pretty much isolate and, and stay away from others versus people in urban areas are, I mean, you can't really avoid people. And we've seen in Indianapolis, we have a mask mandate. You know, you, but if a rural area gets hit with COVID, it's savage. I remember Batesville had a horrible, they're, hospital was was in emergency mode you know several months ago so uh you know i think it depends on whether you've seen it in your rural areas to what your attitude might be you don't only cover the legislature you also cover politics uh and i want to ask about the governor's race Uh, many years ago i had a chance to briefly meet woody myers and i found him to be a very kind engaging very nice man just somebody you'd love to have coffee with and uh, uh, you know, has uh, the bedside manner of a physician, which he is. Mm-hmm. But yet here we have a, and I think you've written about this, a lot of other people have too around the state, that here we have a physician running for governor during a pandemic who would have the credentials to be a competitive candidate. Yet when you look at Woody Myers, 
he just, for some reason, never seems to get any traction in fundraising. And if, and talk to any Democrat who's ever run statewide in Indiana. If you cannot raise enough funds to be competitive, it's very, very difficult to win a, a statewide race. So I'd like you to kind of explore, just give me some whatever you've gleaned from your reporting on why has it been so difficult for Woody Myers, who and I think by background and on paper looks like a very appealing candidate, why has he not been able to be competitive in the fundraising arena? Well, so I think you're right that, you know, on paper, he should be a very appealing candidate. And, you know, one of the other things to mention about that right now is obviously the public health crisis, and he's a doctor. So you've got that. But then you also have the fact that he's the first black candidate from either major political party to run for governor at a time when racial issues are at the forefront. (laughs) So (laughs) you would think that that would help as well. Um, You know, and I recently did a story talking to various people from the black community about how they felt about him, what they know about him, uh, you know, whether or not he really has that support and, some of the things I heard was that he just hasn't been around. He hasn't been out and about. He hasn't been at various protests talking to people. And granted, he did go to the protest one day, but he didn't speak. You know, he just, you're not, you know, not in front of the whole group. He spoke, obviously, to some people individually. But um, it's been interesting to see how he just hasn't broken through. And I think part of that could be that. Holcomb is well-liked. He, you know, all the polls have shown that he has support. Um, This is a Republican state still. And so maybe it's a matter of, you know, there's just not a whole lot of confidence in Democrats being able to go up against a popular Republican incumbent in this year. Um, So maybe we're kind of holding back. I also think There might be some preference given towards the attorney general's race and that Democrats see that as a better pickup opportunity. Um, I mean, at this point, it's an open race. Uh, They do have a strong candidate there. Uh, So maybe that's playing into it. You could also see maybe the fifth district race is playing into it. You know, in a big election year, it's almost like you can't have a ton of focus and a ton of money thrown into every single race, you know, it's, it's just going to get split up too much. And so I don't, that it's possible that that is playing into it. I think some Democrats also thought Dr. Myers might self fund a little bit more than he has. So well, all sorts uh, of things. Yeah, that's uh, there's so, you know, I just, before I move on, you've mentioned a couple of races I want to ask about, but uh, I do I remember this is way before the pandemic. I want to say it was a year ago. Maybe I'm not quite right on the timeline. I do recall there haven't been very many public polls about, let's say, the popularity of Governor Holcomb. But the last public poll I remember seeing some time ago, the result of it was most people didn't know much about Governor Holcomb either way because he'd kind of stayed out of some of the big controversial issues perhaps by design or just that's just the way things worked out. Well, that's not true anymore. You know, he's front and center during the pandemic. He was on TV every day and still on quite often. Uh, 
Uh, and people watch those briefings. They pay attention to them. It's their health, it's their family communities that are at stake. So um, that has been a big change because I think in Indiana, I had one person tell me once that, yes, Indiana is generally a Republican state, generally conservative, but this particular person's view is I think we're more uh, provincial than conservative. In other words, let's just not rock the boat. So if, uh, Governor Holcomb, if he's not doing anything wrong, everything's okay, let's let him stay. Uh, there have been some other cases where that's happened uh, in Indiana. So uh, uh, what's your view? I mean, you've watched this as a political reporter. Uh, do you think that this uh, stage that the governor has had due to the pandemic has actually put him front and center and maybe uh, resulted in people forming an opinion about him where they might not have before? Well, so I know the polls that you're referencing about how some people didn't have an opinion on him or maybe didn't know enough about him. And I agree with you that I think that has definitely changed now. I mean, he was on TV every single day for a couple months there. And then, you know, we went down to three days a week and now we're down to once a week. But I would say people have formed an opinion of him now. Um, there have been a couple polls here and there that have asked about, you know, your governor's handling of the pandemic. And those have come out favorably, favorably for Holcomb. And I think it gets to your point of not rocking the boat. He has kind of told them that towed them in a line here. You know, he hasn't gone, he hasn't necessarily agreed with everything you've seen president Trump saying, you know, he hasn't totally agreed with everything, you know, other Republicans are saying he kind of did follow a lot of what the Republican governor in Ohio has done. You know, there was, um, some of us would joke about how you could see what governor DeWine would do. And then a few days later, governor Holcomb would do it, whether or not, <laughs> whether or not that's, you know, causation, I don't know, but, um, it was interesting to see. <clears throat> and, you know, we did shut the state down and, some Republican states really waited much longer to do that than Governor Holcomb did. And he has not issued a statewide mask mandate. And I'm not sure you will see him do that. So he's, you know, it's, I feel like he's really tried to stay in the middle here where you've got, you know, some liberal Democrats who think he hasn't done nearly enough to handle the pandemic and you have some conservatives who think he's done too much and, you know, has really infringed on their freedoms. And we've seen protests. There was a protest at the governor's mansion, uh, you know, this spring about wanting to reopen the economy. Uh, but I think really staying in the middle there has made it so his popularity hasn't shifted too far one way or the other. Let me move to the 5th District race. This is because I live in the 5th District, and uh, it was carved out as a Republican district about 10 years ago, and the demographics have changed in the 5th District dramatically. Uh, I think it was the Cook Political Report. That's one of the most respected political uh, newsletters around, and uh, they, I think it was them and some others who are well known have now gone from this leaning Republican to toss-up. 
I don't think there's any public polling. I and you have to be a little, you know. And being a reporter, when you hear people uh, within campaigns talk about internal polls, you really have to take that with a grain of salt. They're going to share what they think is favorable to them, and that's their job, right? You have to kind of sift through all that. We have two interesting candidates. We have Christina Hale, a Democrat who has shown the has run statewide and shown the ability to raise money, and we have uh, Victoria Sparts who. Uh, was a state senator and is also someone who has has shown she is willing to self-fund her campaign uh, if need be. She certainly did that in the primary. Now, whether that will work in the general election, I don't know. I'm sure both candidates are going to have a lot of money to spend. Um, what are you hearing from the political pros? You talk to uh, just some things for all of us to watch who live in the 5th District. Are we in for a nasty campaign on TV and in the Internet? Uh, uh, how do you think this is going to go? With all that money to spend, these sometimes get negative. What's your view on that? Yeah, like you said, when there's a lot of money to spend, you can uh, bet you're going to see a lot of ads and you're going to get uh, probably pretty sick of hearing about the 5th District race by the time November comes around. Um, it's it's going to be a big race. It's uh, When there's a couple different, like you said, um, rating agencies that have changed it to toss up from Lean's Republican and to remind everyone, we went to Lean's Republican when uh, Susan Brooks announced her retirement, and so now we've you know we've moved all the way into toss-up from a district where if Susan Brooks would have ran for re-election, probably would have won. It's possible it would have been a little bit closer. It still would have been a heated race. You know, I think Democrats saw even if she ran for re-election, they could have given her a run for her money. But now that it's an open race. Uh, in, there's going to be national money poured into this uh, from national Democrats and national Republicans. I think um, you'll see Victoria Sparts. I, I think she has. I mean, in the past quarter, she still gave herself uh, additional money. Uh, altogether, she's given her the campaign more than a million dollars at this point. Um, so I think we'll see that to some extent continue. But now that that primary is over, I think you will see some fundraising come in for her. I mean, that primary had more than a dozen candidates, so it made sense that the Republican dollars were really spread out in that race. And, you know, to make an impact and to get on TV as much as she did, she had to loan her campaign that much money. Um Interested to see what happens over the next quarter with the fundraising, though, because uh, Christina Hale still has a sizable lead on Victoria Sparks when it comes to how much cash on hand that they have. And that's going to make a big difference in terms of, you know, how much you can get out and do things. I think the other thing that's going to impact this race and really every other race, but is can candidates keep campaigning in person? Or does that get shut down again if we see cases rise? Um, you know, can we have a debate between the candidates with an audience? Or is there no audience? Is it only a virtual debate? Because those are quite different <laughs> than uh, in-person debates as someone who covered them in the, the primary. Because, you know, when a candidate's asked a question, the person who's going to get that question next can have someone send them a statement to say or vice versa 
you know, it, there, there were clearly some candidates in the primary who were reading answers. Just so. want, I just want you to know, I have already had one candidate come to my door. And that candidate was wearing a mask, and I wasn't wearing a mask when I opened the door. I probably should have, but uh, and if we do have one close to the door, I just didn't think about it. And this candidate, like, stepped back six. I happen to know this person, <laughs> you know, just because I'm involved in the community, and uh, we talked for a while. So there are, there is door, there is this candidate you would know the name of. So it's, it is, uh, it is already begun. People are going door to door, being as careful as they can. So how that continues with the kind of you know, numbers we're seeing with coronavirus. That's a really good question. There was even a, a question when the special session was broached about whether you could do that safely and within the constitutional rules of being in person to vote and all that sort of thing. But uh, very interesting. I, I just was fascinated by the fact that I even saw one candidate this early. Let me move to the attorney general's race, which you've already talked about. Um, I've got to believe that the Republican Party is uh, relieved in one way, but a little concerned in another. And I, the reason I ask the question that way is because uh, Curtis Hill, who we all know the story of Curtis Hill, the sexual harassment allegations that dogged him, and uh, the uh, it actually turned out to be a reasonably close vote in the convent, the virtual convention, not a real convention. Both conventions were virtual for uh, both state parties in Indiana. We have a really interesting uh, uh, matchup here, even though Curtis Hill will not be a, a part of this mix. Jonathan Weinsapple, who you mentioned from Evansville, has shown the ability to raise money at least early. So he's he's raising more money than the governor's candidate is at the moment. Uh, so it looks like he has that network of, of fundraising to, to be competitive. His opponent, the Republican, will be Todd Rokita. Now, I want to ask the question in this way. Because it was two years ago that there was a very ugly primary that Todd Rokita was involved with for in a U.S. Senate race in Indiana. You know, he lost that. Luke Messer lost it. And I was telling people early on that I thought Luke Messer and Rokita were going to just really tear each other down and that, you know, Mike Braun might emerge from that. I wasn't. With any, any great insight, it was just a guess on my part. I happened to guess right, and Braun is now in the Senate. And uh, you know, Luke Messer is, is off to Ams for wonderful things outside of politics, and Rokita is now a candidate for attorney general. But you know, he's had some baggage, particularly with some publicity on how he treated his own staff in Congress. So I would like, with all of these factors playing in, how do you think the attorney general's race is going to shape up? Because, again, I think both candidates are going to have money. They're going to go on TV. Uh, do you think this might get negative? Do you think it will uh, be a situation where we're going to be bombarded on TV and on the Internet? I would just like your thoughts early on about what I think is, is shaping up to be one of the most interesting statewide races. Yeah, so it's funny as we sit here and talk about you know all these different races with the governor's race and fifth district and the attorney general's race. And I really think that you're going to see more ads and more negativity and attacks thrown left and right with the fifth district and with the attorney general's race, than you will with the governor's race, which is kind of an odd thing because you would think the governor's race is, you know, top of the ticket, most important one that we would see more of that in. But the attorney general's race, similar to fifth district, is going to have national money pouring in. You know, both of the um, attorneys general 
associations for Republicans and Democrats have already kind of staked their claim that they care about this race. Uh, you know, in terms of how Republicans feel about Todd Rokita, I think that there are certainly some people in the party that are not thrilled that he won the primary. Um, but there are clearly a lot of Republicans who supported him and wanted him as the nominee. And even though I think there are some who, you know, aren't thrilled about that outcome, I, I don't really doubt that they'll vote for him. I think they will vote for him in the fall election because at the end of the day, they see a man who would be attorney general and support their principles versus Jonathan Weinzapple, who, you know, in their opinion would not. Um, and both of them are going to have plenty of money to go up with TV ads. And they're, they're both going to make a, a pretty good fight for this race. I think Democrats um, are pretty eager to try to take it back. They haven't had that office in 20 years. And right now Democrats don't have any statewide elected office. And so I think, you know, that's probably their best opportunity if they, they want to uh, reclaim the statewide seat this year. Now, I, how much will the presidential race impact these statewide races, maybe even some of the congressional races? I mean, Donald Trump won this state big four years ago. Uh, I don't think anybody is, is predicting he will lose Indiana. But if it is more competitive, if the if it tightens more than it was four years ago, what are you hearing? Do you think that may or may not have an impact on some of these statewide races and perhaps even a few congressional races? I think it could have an impact to some degree. I think there's some arguments about how much the support for Trump has changed in the state since 2016. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's expecting a 20 point win this year, but how much, like I said, how much that's changed, I think is a little bit up for debate and polls have shown all sorts of different things on that. Um, and a lot could change between now and November still on how people feel about him. You know, what else happens with the coronavirus between now and then what else happens with the economy and unemployment and, you know, what happens with this next relief package that Congress is working on? That all, I think, is going to play into how people are feeling in November. You know, if he, if Trump doesn't win the state by 20, but maybe wins by 10, I mean, that's still working out well for Republicans down the ballot, probably. Um, but there are definitely voters that look at a presidential race separate from other races. Yeah, time goes very quickly when you and I talk on these subjects. So I want to just ask you one more uh, question. And let's go back from politics to state government. Uh, I believe the figure that you quoted in the story after the end of the fiscal year is that Indiana was down $1.4 billion from projections. Uh, we knew it was going to be a tough year when the pandemic hit, but that's a big number. 
And I want to zero in on one specific part of the budget, which I think impacts the entire – don't think it does impact the entire state. The governor said early on when, when the budget got tough, you know, he cut agencies, he cut higher learning, higher education. But he said, we are going to stay steady on K-12 through funding. We're going to cut other areas. I'm going to preserve that. I just wonder, from what you're seeing and talking to people who are budget experts, how long can the governor be able to do that, be able to protect K-12 through education? That's a good question that I think we will see more of the answers to as lawmakers start working on the next two-year budget. Because the, the promise that the governor has made is really for the next year, for, for 2021. Because that budget has you know, already been passed. It's, it's already outlined. It's there. And I think that's what a lot of teachers and educators were worried about was whether or not they could count on that to, to hold true. And the state has made other cuts to kind of try to offset that and help. But all that being said, if businesses are forced to shut down again, that changes the fiscal picture for the state. I mean, we, we saw, um, sales tax and income tax revenue drop. It's, it's done okay. Um, you know, the budget officials have talked about the uh, marketplace facilitator tax that has kind of helped the state in terms of the sales tax revenue, which basically that just means if you're, you know, buying something online, you're still get the state's still getting your sales tax. Um, And it also is going to matter about whether or not we see uh, tax payments uh, postponed again. I mean, that was a big issue in this budget was that, uh, you know, you didn't have to pay your taxes until July 15th instead of in April. And for the state, that meant it was getting bumped into a new fiscal year. So calendar year, yes, it's the same year, but for the state, that um, that was a big shift, and that was where a lot of the the drop in revenue came from. So we'll we'll definitely know more, especially as we get a new uh, revenue forecast. I believe they said we'll see that in September. That'll give us a better idea, and then we'll get another one in December as they start working on the next budget. Just want to remind everybody, if you do not uh, subscribe to the IBJ, you should. I just renewed my subscription recently. Uh, You have great newsletters. You have a great online presence. So although you're a a weekly publication, you get your uh, edition in the mail once a week on the print edition. You have material and you have updates uh, every day of the week as far as what's happening in, in news. So I would encourage everybody to read Lindsay Erdoti and all the other reporters and editors who work at the IBJ. And it should be pointed out, there have been no furloughs at the IBJ amongst the journalists. That is correct. No furloughs, no layoffs, no pay cuts. And uh, you are fortunate. You're one of the few publications in America that has local ownership. And uh, the, the gentleman who's owned it for years has uh, set it up so that uh, there is a continuous continuation plan and uh, the IBJ will continue for the foreseeable future as an independent locally owned uh, publication. So with that in mind, Lindsay Ardotti, I know you're a very busy lady. I will let you go do your work as a journalist and I will be reading what you are writing. And we certainly wish you all. Thank you very much for, for joining me today. 
Yeah, thank you for having me anytime.